Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as a professor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I just want to begin by giving a programming note, and that is next week our family is going to be going on vacation, so there will be no podcasts, recordings, um, or uploaded next week, as well as the daily mini burst of encouragement, uh, strength through for today that we're going through Philippians. So uh, there may be some radio silence for the next week and a half as our family enjoys a week of vacation. But I wanted to get one podcast in before I left for vacation, and I really haven't shared a lot of this on um, the Understanding Christianity podcast, but as many of my listeners know and those that that are part of my church know that uh, back in May I graduated from uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky with a doctorate in ministry in expository preaching. And so for the past three and a half years I have inundated myself with books and research and writing my dissertation and going to classes and thinking about expository preaching. And I do it every week on a daily basis. Um, Every Sunday when I preach, I try to do expository preaching. And so what I'd like to do in this podcast is really maybe share some of the insights that I have gleaned um, over the years about this topic. And maybe you're listening to this and you are a preacher, you're a pastor, and you want to learn more about what it means to preach expositionally. Maybe you're listening to this and you just wonder, what, what is expository preaching? Uh, is my pastor preaching expositionally? What, what is this whole business of expository preaching? And so whether you're a pastor or a lay person or a seminary student, wherever you are in life and ministry, I think it's important for us to understand what the Bible and what uh, those in history and the experts have taught us about expository preaching. And let me preface this by saying I'm not an expert. I um, preach expositionally. I, I pray every Sunday at my church. Um, I do have a doctorate in expository preaching, but I do not believe that I have arrived. I believe there's a long ways that I've got to go and many things I need to learn. And there are some great expositors out there that I listen to on podcasts and go to their church websites and get uh, Food, spiritual food for my soul. Um, so let me just begin to share uh, some insights and some reflections, and hopefully this will be edifying to you. Um, in his famous book, Preaching and Preachers, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he makes this poignant statement. He says, The most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And as it is the greatest and most urgent need in the church, it is obviously the greatest need of the world also. That's a bold statement. I agree with him. The greatest need in the church is, what he says, is true preaching. And most Christians listening to this would agree that there must be a primacy of preaching in our churches today. But at the same time, there's not really a unified definition of expository preaching that you'll find out there. What exactly is expository preaching? Well, as we look at this issue, I really want to consider four areas, four questions, four crucial elements. First of all, 
what constitutes a, a comprehensive definition of expository preaching. Secondly, what are the biblical, theological, and practical justifications for expository preaching? Thirdly, what are the essential elements of an expository sermon? And finally, why is it the greatest need in our churches today? So, so four issues, and we may look at some more as we, as we go along, but just for my train of thought right now, these are the four things I, I really want us to focus on, and we'll see how long we go. Let's just look at a definition of expository preaching. If you look at textbooks, if you look at the resources and material out there, there is not one unifying definition of expository preaching. Now, I think that there are three streams of categorization of how we would categorize that. Um, The etymological approach a morphological approach, and a substantive approach. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, in an etymological approach, in trying to classify expository preaching, you use the, the etymology of the word expository. What does it mean? Ex means to draw out. Posit means to expose or explain the biblical text. And so there are those that have looked at that term expose, expository from the etymology of that English word to broadly describe any type of preaching that explains, exposes, explicates the passage. Um, Al Mohler has used this type of definition for preaching when he writes, quote, expository preaching is that mode of Christian preaching that takes as its central purpose the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. All other issues and concerns are subordinated to the central task of presenting the biblical text. That's a good definition. Basically, what Moeller's saying is that the primary aim in preaching is to clearly and accurately present the biblical text by exposing it and explaining it. Jerry Vines provides another example of this type of classification of what an expository sermon is. He says an expository sermon is one that expounds a passage of scripture, organizes it around a central theme and main points, and then decisively applies its message to the listener. John Stott if there's, let me just stop and talk about some good books that um, I think are very helpful. Probably one of the best books that I found to be very, very helpful, and I'll talk about these books as we go along. Uh, earlier, um, Dr. Moeller, Al Moeller, his book, He Is Not Silent, that's an excellent book. He Is Not Silent. Just a, just a very good, solid treatment on what expository preaching is, why we need to preach with authority. Uh, that's, that's a great book. He is not silent. Another book that I really, really think is beneficial for preachers is John Stott's Between Two Worlds. Um, I keep going back to that book, read it multiple times. I really like John Stott as an author. Um, I love his commentaries. He, he just succinctly words things that really make sense. There's not a lot of fluff with John Stott. He's very clear. He's very poignant. But in his book, Between Two Worlds, he writes, In expository preaching, the biblical text is neither a conventional introduction to a sermon on a largely different theme, 
nor a convenient peg on which to hang a rag bag of miscellaneous thoughts, but a master which dictates and controls what is said. So you can just look at the etymology of the word expository, to expose the text, to explain the text. And there's some that said that's the basic definition of expository preaching, to expose it. But if we just look at the etymology of the word expository, I don't know if it's comprehensive enough. Uh, Some authors have argued that morphology determines a definition of expository preaching. Now let me describe or explain what I mean by morphology. Morphology really deals more with the sermon outline. What their argument is, is that the sermon outline, the structure of the sermon the exegesis, uh, the, the structure of the sermon must match the exegesis of the text. And so it pays close attention to form, length of passage. Um, it becomes a matter of form over substance. And I think Mark Dever, in his book, Preaching, I really think gives a, a good definition of this type of approach. He says, expositional preaching is preaching in which the main point of the biblical text being considered becomes the main point of the sermon being preached. And I agree with that as far as it goes. I think that's a, it's a great, simple way to nail down expository preaching. His focus is more on the morphology, that you look at what is the main point of the text, and whatever that main point of the text is, through your exegesis, through your, through your hermeneutical study, that then becomes the main point of your sermon. So it's a focus on more of the structure, the, the form. But a third category is really um, substance or content. And so Haddon Robinson has probably developed probably the most popular definition in this third category. He says, expository preaching is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through the preacher applies to the hearers. That's a good definition. I think there's some issues there that we have to really deal with. Um, I don't know if I like his terminology, a biblical concept. Um, I think that lacks precision. I would rather have the word truth or proposition. Um, And then, does the Holy Spirit actually have to apply it to the preacher first before he can actually preach it to others? Um, Is that a hard and fast rule? Yes, as pastors, we want the text to minister to us personally through the power of the Holy Spirit working our lives. Um, But is that so rigid to say that if, if the text hasn't really gripped us, We can't accurately preach it to our congregation. In an ideal world, that's what we'd like to have happen. Uh, Brian Chappell, in his book, Christ-Centered Preaching, great book, um, gives some really good definitions on expository preaching, but really brings in a more gospel-centered focus. Um, He basically says that the meaning of the passage is the message of the sermon. The text governs the preacher. Expository preachers do not expect others to honor their opinions. Such ministers adhere to the Scripture's truths and expect their listeners to heed the same. So I think if you take these three approaches together, you become more, um, a more comprehensive definition of expository preaching. 
But one of the things that I, I have found that a lot of the preaching books leave out, they, they focus a lot on mechanics. You've got to explain the text. You've got to expose the text. You've got to exegete the text. You've got to apply the text. That, that's what expository preaching is. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But I think that what often lacks is a, what I would call a doxological approach to preaching, which would be the whole idea that preaching is an act of, of worship. Preaching is first and foremost an act of worship. It's not a perfunctory duty that the pastor has to do. You're not an actor acting on a stage. You're not a lecturer trying to dazzle people with your rhetorical skill. It's an act of worship. Again, uh, Dr. Moeller in his book, He Is Not Silent, echoes this assertion when he says, any consideration of Christian preaching must begin with the realization that preaching is essentially an act of worship. I believe preaching is more than just exposition and application. It involves worship, a sense of the majesty of God. John Piper has really captured this idea. I mean, most of my listeners probably are very, very familiar with John Piper. Who's not? Um, he's, the, he's the grandfather of the Reformed Calvinistic movement. Uh, he's our, you know, one of the preachers that we probably all listen to. We've been influenced by his writings. Uh, we love to listen to his preaching. Um, his book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching, is an excellent book. And he quotes Scottish preacher James Stewart, who really gives a, a really crisp definition of preaching. He says, The aim of all genuine preaching, the aims of all genuine preaching, are to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. You notice how it's holistic. Preaching is not just aiming for the mind, but aiming for the conscience, aiming for the heart, aiming for the imagination, aiming for the will. It's this comprehensive desire to see the whole person affected by the truth of the Scripture. And it's not just a lecture. A lot of expository preaching can come off as lecturing. I notice a lot of young pastors do this. Uh, They want to really make sure that they exegete the text. They want to make sure that they are um, faithful to the scriptures. And so what ends up as the sermon is more of a seminary lecture on the etymology of Greek words, um, arcane historical rabbit trails, And yes, you need to do that exegetical work, but when it comes to crafting the sermon, the sermon is aiming for the whole person. You're not just there to feed the mind. You're not just there to teach and instruct the mind. You're moving people to respond to the text. You're confronting people with the glories of Christ. You're aiming for the heart. You're aiming for the will. You're aiming for the mind. So there's got to be more than just lecturing, transferring data, uh, doctrine dumping. There's got to be the whole idea of aiming for the heart and the will and desiring to see spiritual transformation. Um, Dr. York, Herschel York, he was my um, doctoral supervisor. He's the one that approved my thesis. He is the the head preaching professor at 
Southern Seminary, a wonderful man of God, a great preacher, a great leader. Um, he has written a book, Preaching with Bold Assurance. Um, I want to quote Dr. York. Um, he says this, Preaching is not just building a sermon, telling stories, inspiring an audience, or giving a speech. If the Bible is the Word of God, then preaching is speaking God's words. The purpose of preaching is to lay bare the meaning of the passage, to present its application, and show its relevance to the audience. So I believe preaching involves a wholesale assault on the mind, heart, will, imagination, conscience, for the purpose of gospel transformation, obedience, repentance, not just doctrinal assimilation, acquiring information. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones has vividly captured this idea by saying, what is preaching? It's this famous thing. What is preaching? Logic on fire. Eloquent reason. Preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. Logic on fire. So yes, you've got to have the didactic teaching, exposition. You've got to have the clear, cogent understanding of what the text is saying but there's got to also be that whole fire combined with that where you're aiming for the heart you're aiming for the will you're wanting to see people respond to the truth of the scripture there's got to be that supernatural element of passion zeal urgency and so let me give you my own definition of expository preaching now i know this may fall short I know it may be more comprehensive than what some people would say. It may be too simplistic. Anytime you provide a definition of something that there's not a unified voice out there describing what it is, you're always going to be criticized that you didn't say enough or you said too much or you added something that I wouldn't have added. And so I understand the limitations of that. But this is my podcast, and I'm, I'm going to give you what I think is a, a helpful definition of expository preaching. And then I'm going to kind of break it down for you. So let me just give you the definition, and then we'll break it down. Expository preaching is the God-glorifying, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered explanation and application of any biblical text through the process of careful, historical, grammatical, and literary exegesis and skillful organization of the sermon that emerges from the meaning and structure of the text for the purpose of exhorting hearers to spiritual transformation through the power of the gospel. Now, I know that's a long sentence, so let me break it down for you what I'm meaning by expository preaching. First of all, I begin my definition with a Trinitarian understanding of preaching in the context of it being an act of worship. I think it's important to approach anything that we do in a Trinitarian manner because that's how God has chosen to reveal Himself. That's who God is. God exists as one God in essence and substance, but yet existing at the same time in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So when we preach expositionally, when we preach the Bible We are seeing it as an act of worship. The Father receives glory or should receive glory in our preaching. In our preaching, we should be exalting the Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. And also in our preaching, we should be relying upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit 
And as the pastor, as the preacher, we should see that what we're doing first and foremost is an act of worship and obedience to the triune God who's called us to preach His Word. So it starts with this Trinitarian act of worship of God. That what we're doing is not just giving a lecture. We're not just um, giving a speech. We are actually worshiping the triune God when we are preaching. But secondly, expository preaching involves both the explanation and the application of any biblical text. Now, I don't want to limit expository preaching to say that it has to be um, a full chapter, it has to be a pericope, um, it, you know, textual preaching, maybe one, one verse. I think you can do an expository sermon on the entire book of the Bible. I don't think you need to limit it in its, you know, by how many verses or how many chapters. I think you can take any biblical text and as long as you explain what that text means and you apply that text, you're doing expository preaching. Thirdly, expository preaching must involve careful exegesis and skillful organization where the exegetical outline determines the homiletical outline. And let me explain that. In expository preaching, there must be careful exegesis. And what I mean by careful is that there must be the grammatical, historical, hermeneutic used in doing this. Where you do look at the original languages. You do look at the sentence structure the tenses of the verbs. You look at what's going on in the literary context. What kind of genre is it? You look at culturally what's going on in the culture of the time historically. So you look at the history. You look at the literary genre. You look at the actual grammar, the words, the syntax. And as you carefully study the text in its original language, in its original meaning, you then, through the rigorous process, discover its spirit-intended meaning. But that's only halfway. Once you determine the the spirit-intended meaning of the text, then the second step is skillful organization. You've got to organize the sermon in a way that emerges from the exegetical work that you've done. They've got to be tied together, meaning that your propositional statement, your main point, whatever you want to call it, your, your, your points, your subpoints, those are not random things. Those should derive from the structure and, and the flow of the actual text that you're, that you're working with so that when your, your people are, are following you when you're preaching, they can look at their own Bible and they can see where you get your where you're getting your your arguments and your conclusions. Fourthly, preaching is more than just a lecture for information acquisition. Preaching, by nature, is what I call exhortatory. It exhorts. It declares. It boldly announces. It calls for a response. It calls for a verdict. It aims to penetrate the heart and the mind. You're not just to preach a message, but to preach in such a way that the hearers are gripped by the truth, 
They're confronted by the scriptures. They're, they're being transformed in that moment by the living word and active word cutting them and the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. Now, this transformation, when you do expository preaching, can come either in your initial sal- salvation, which would be justification, or progressive sanctification for those that are already believers. So there's got to be a combination of the, the worship aspect of preaching, the exegetical study, organizational, and then the, the transformational aspect of expository preaching. Now, that's a definition. Second question or second issue we want to look at is, well, what are the, the foundation and elements of expository preaching? The nature of expository preaching emerges directly from a clear understanding of its biblical, theological, and practical foundations. The scripture stands as God's authoritative, inerrant, and inspired word and gives a crystal clear mandate for the importance of preaching. In the Bible, we see Specific examples of men whom God raised up to be preachers. As well as we see actual teaching passages that be giving instructions on Christian preaching. I mean, my whole chapter 2 in my doctoral thesis was on Moses as a preacher. And if you look, and maybe I'll do a podcast on this later on, Moses preached three expository sermons in the book of Deuteronomy, and the opening verses of Deuteronomy clearly lay forth a blueprint of what expositional preaching is, and Moses does it. And you can see actually his sermon, his expository sermon, and you can see how he does that. Moses was an expository preacher. You can look at Ezra, the scribe. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra stood before the people. He read God's word. He exposited God's word. He sent the Levites out into the audience to do expository preaching and teaching. Nehemiah 8.8 says they read from the book, from the law of God. Clearly, they read from it. Okay, that's number one. You read clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's nothing less than expository preaching. You read the Word, you explain the Word, you apply the Word, and then you urge people to obey and to respond to the Word. Throughout the Bible, God raised up preachers. Elijah was a preacher. Jeremiah was a preacher. Isaiah, John the Baptist, the apostles, Jesus Himself. Chapter 3 of my doctoral thesis is on Jesus as an expository preacher. Maybe one day I'll do an entire podcast on his sermon in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus preaches an expository sermon. And there's a lot of debate out there whether Jesus was an expository sermon, a preacher or not. I believe he was at times. And you have a perfect example in Luke chapter 4. The early sermons in the book of Acts. Peter at Pentecost. That's an expository sermon. Stephen in front of the Sanhedrin when he's about to be stoned. That's an expository sermon. Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. That was an expository sermon. Paul in Acts chapter 13 in Pisidia Antioch. He preached an expository sermon. So we have even examples of expository sermons in Jesus and in the apostles. But we also have Paul's teaching 
in the pastoral epistles on what a pastor is to do in his preaching to Timothy and to Titus. When you have 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So biblically, we've got examples of expository preaching. We've got explicit teachings on expository preaching. So why do pastors do it? Well, we've got a biblical model and we've got a biblical teaching. But there's also a justification. There's a a theological foundation as to why we do expository preaching. What are the theological foundations as to why we do it? Well, first of all, God in creation from the very beginning has spoken His Word. Peter Adam, in his book, Speaking God's Words, it's, it's a good book, says, God's revelation begins with the sermon. God preaches and the world is made. The God who speaks is the God who acts through His words. Expository preaching flows out of the truth that God has spoken His Word. And since He's spoken His Word, that Word requires His human instruments to proclaim it and for us to obey it. So first of all, all throughout history, uh, biblical history, God spoke. He spoke creation into existence. He spoke to the prophets. He spoke His Word. But also, not only has God spoken, but He also chose for his word to be written down, to be scripture through his very breath. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, the scripture, all writings, all graphe in the Greek text is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. John MacArthur, in his book, Preaching, How to Preach Biblically, gives a really good a definition of this idea when he writes, the existence of God and His nature requires the conclusion that He is communicated accurately and that an adequate exegetical process to determine His meaning is required. A belief in inerrancy thus requires, most important of all, expositional preaching that does not have to do primarily with the homiletical form of the message. In this regard, expository preaching differs from what is practiced by non Inheritantists. In other words, the fact that God has spoken and has God breathed the scriptures and had it written down in an inerrant, error-free scripture requires us to preach that inerrant word as faithfully, as carefully as we can, exposing every detail of the text because God took the care to make sure it was written down exactly the way He wanted it as His God-breathed scriptures. Which leads to the third issue. God commissions preachers. God calls preachers to preach this written, inspired word. You know, the ancient text was written to particular audiences thousands of years ago in other languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic at times, different customs. And your average person, when they read the Bible, doesn't understand a lot of these issues. 
And so as a pastor, as a preacher, one of our jobs is to bridge the gap between the meaning of the text and the world of the modern audience. John Stott, that's the whole purpose of his book, Between Two Worlds. He describes this metaphor of expository preaching as a bridge, building a bridge between two worlds, the world of the ancient Bible and the world of today, because there's such a deep chasm. He says, a chasm that is a deep rift between the biblical world and the modern world needs to be bridged by the preacher. And so a holy and transcendent God has spoken his word. He's chosen to have his very words written down in inspired scripture. And therefore he commands and calls preachers to clearly proclaim, explain, and apply those words to modern audiences so that people in all generations and all times can bow under the authority of that word and respond in repentance and faith. What are the essential elements of expository preaching? Like what what needs to be there? Like if you were to say, you know, to judge a sermon or to to think about, was the sermon expository? Did it have these elements? Now, again, this is just a personal opinion. You may disagree with me, but let me suggest five components that I think are really necessary in preparing, planning, and preaching um, expository sermons. First of all, and I, I talked about this earlier, a preacher must engage in exegetical precision. Exegetical precision. If expository preaching is the explanation and application of the scriptures through the historical, grammatical, and literary study, then this process must be done with excellence and precision. David Gordon has written a book, Why Johnny Can't Preach. And he says this, the preacher is not, is not entitled to preach his own insights his own opinions, or even his own settled convictions. He is entitled only to declare the mind of God revealed in Holy Scripture. What often happens a lot of times in churches is that you get more of the pastor's opinion, you get political speeches, you get fireside chats, you get um, funny stories, you get motivational speeches, but you don't get the meaning of the text. And this takes time. This process of exegetical precision is really difficult because as a preacher, we need to distill the text down to its thesis, its dominant thought. What is the big idea? What is the main point of the passage of Scripture before us? What did the Holy Spirit intend for us to understand as the main dominating point. And that's a hard process. We've got to patiently go through the process of trying to discover what is the dominant thought, what's the main idea, the the painstaking task of trying to, to penetrate the text. Again, John Stott says this. He says, the higher our view of the Bible the more painstaking and conscientious our study of it should be. If this book is indeed the Word of God, then away with slovenly slipshod exegesis, we have to make time to penetrate the text until it yields up its treasures. Only when we have ourselves absorbed its message can we confidently share it with others. That's his British way of saying you can't be sloppy. You can't be haphazard. 
You've got to dig and mine and penetrate the text until you find that nugget, until you find exactly what the text means. The second essential element of expository preaching really is the spiritual preparation and personal character of the preacher. You can't eliminate the preacher from preaching. You are preaching the text, but you are also a a called man of God. And so do you live a life of integrity? Are you passionately pursuing Christ? Are you deeply moved by the scriptures yourself? Are you longing to obey and submit under the scriptures and, and have this longing for your congregation to do the same? I mean, there's a famous statement by Philip Brooks. Almost every preaching book is going to have this quote. That preaching is truth through personality. And what he's meaning by that is that, yes, you're preaching the truth, but it comes through you. It comes through your person. It comes through your manner of delivery. It comes through your life. It is your life backing up what you're preaching. John Flavel urges preachers with a stinging admonition. He was a Puritan. He said, Believe it, brethren, it is easier to declaim like an orator against a thousand sins of others than it is to kill one sin like Christians in ourselves, to preach 20 sermons to our people than one to our own hearts. Man, that rings true. How easy it is to get up and rail against your congregation, to preach against your congregation, to say, hey, you need to learn this, you need to know this, this is an issue in your life, you need to repent of this, and the whole time you're preaching to them, but that text has not penetrated you personally. And believe me, there's times where I've been in sermon preparation and I've just began weeping because the text cut me like a double-edged sword. And I come into deep conviction like, man, I don't even know if I can preach this because this is something I'm personally struggling with that I need to repent of. And there's times where I've gotten weepy during a sermon where you're just preaching and, and, and you, you've spent time in study and you've read this text multiple times but this in the moment of preaching it grips you like you're reading it for the very first time and you come under conviction may god bring that more to me um, that i'm more affected by the truth of god's word it penetrates my heart first well the third essential element of expository preaching i think is i think there needs to be skillful organization Um, my dad goes to a lot of different churches. He's a retired um, area missionary. He was a seminary professor. He was a pastor. He was a church planner. Actually, if you think about my dad, he's a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to uh, ministry. And so uh, he and my mother travel a lot, and they're in a lot of different churches and mentoring a lot of different pastors. And, and I often talk to my dad about preaching, and he says, Man, Sean, there's a dearth. That's his word. There's a dearth of, of good expository preaching out there. And I, I pressed my dad further. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, most of the guys stand up and he goes, they have no organization. I can't track their thought. I have no idea where they're going. I don't see where they're getting this from the text. And they stand up there and they ramble for 30 to 40 minutes and I have no clue what they're saying. And these are Southern Baptist churches. And so I do believe that there has to be skillful organization. Now, This emerges, like I said earlier, from the exegetical work, the exegetical precision. I mean, when you've spent the hard time looking at the flow of the text, looking at the structure of the text, looking at the main arguments, even the main points that emerge from the text, once you've done that hard work, 
then your outline should reflect the flow, the organization of the text. And so you've got to remember that the introduction, the illustrations, the points, the metaphors, the conclusions, everything that you're doing should drive back to that dominant theme, that main idea. And so a pastor needs to work hard to do this. This is, this is half of your, this is the hard work. I'll just be honest with you. The hard work for me is, um, I love the exegetical stuff. That's, that part is fun for me. I love translating the original languages. I love looking at the verb tenses. Um, I love looking at the, uh, how it all works together. Uh, but then the hard part is, okay, I've done all that work. What's the dominant theme? What's the primary point? What's the big idea? What's the main thesis? What's the propositional statement? What's the, what's the one dominant thought that emerges from this text? Okay, once I discover what that is, okay, how am I going to preach this? How do I distill that into a clear, concise, crisp sentence that's memorable, that's also faithful to the text? And then how am I going to organize this in points? How many points am I going to have? Uh, How many movements am I going to have? How am I going to begin the sermon with an opening story or an illustration? How am I going to craft this sermon so that it's relevant, it flows, it's logical, it's skillful, but at the same time, it's still faithful to the text? That when a person is reading in their Bibles, following along with me in their pew, in their chair, they can look at the scriptures, they can hear what's coming out of my mouth, they can see it with their own eyes, they can hear it with their own ears and say, oh, I can see where he's going. I can see where he got that. I'm tracking with him. I understand what he's what he's doing. I I see how that emerges from the text. So it's diligent. You got to have a cogent structure. Got to spend time on that. The fourth essential element, and I referred to this earlier, there's got to be a charismatic, persuasive, declaratory nature. Now, charismatic, that may be a word you're not familiar with. It really comes from the Greek word keruso. Keruso was used of Jesus, he, that was a, the main word in the Gospels, especially the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of how Jesus preached. It means to declare boldly, to declare like a herald with authority. There, there's the bold proclamation. There's the whole standing before people with boldness, with urgency, with passion. You're declaring. You're calling people to response. Again, it's not a lecture. You're, you're, you're pleading with people. You're urging people. You're, you're passionately calling them. You're persuading. Uh, you're applying the text. Uh, you, your, your hearers need to be moved by the scriptures. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit's got to do that. And we'll talk about that later. But, but you're not up there giving a lecture. You're not, this, is not a, this is not a Sunday school class where you're giving tidbits of, of trivial information. Uh, you're going deep into the Greek, texas, Greek tenses of the words. Um, it's not this boring, dry lecture that's only aiming towards theological data dump. There may be some of that in your preaching. Yes, you've got to teach. Yes, you've got to explain. Yes, you've got to instruct. But it's got to move beyond that. I'll give you another story from my dad. They were members of a church for many years. Uh, not many, maybe back three or four years. And um, I always asked them, like, you know, what, what are you getting out of the preaching? Do you, know, do you like your pastor? Pastor is a great man of God. We love him. He exegetes the text. I mean, every time we come away from that, we, there's no doubt that he spent time understanding the text. But here's the problem, Sean. He never applied it. We get halfway through the sermon and it would end. 
And he did a great job explaining it. And we felt like when we came away, we had a great lecture. It was a great seminary class, but we were never moved to respond. We never had the text um, apply to us. And again, that's the danger of expository preaching. Some people uh, look at that as this cold, dry, boring um, exposition of the scripture with no practical application or urging people to, to action. And so uh, preaching's got to be more than just doctrine dumping. Uh, it's got to ignite worship in people. It's got to demand a response. It's got to hit listeners between the eyes with the lordship of Christ. And, and, you know, Jonathan Edwards was a master of this. When you read his sermons, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a master of this. When you listen to him, man, I love to listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons because you know, he starts out pretty, it's pretty standard. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 for our text today. I mean, he, he starts just talking about the text and he, there's no flowery introduction. He just jumps right into the text. But man, when he gets to those points where, the, where, the, where he's making pertinent application towards the end of the sermon, when he's calling for a response, when he's urging his listeners, you're on the edge of your seat under deep conviction uh, because he's, he's done a masterful job of doing that. Um, Jonathan Edwards said this, as the servant of the word, the pastor's message out of the word should cleanse the consciences of the people who listen to him. The whole church is edified and built up by this soul washing Hence, the primary importance of the pastor is to be an expository preacher. This soul cleansing, this soul washing, this total inundation with the word that our entire self is being affected. It's not just a lecture. The entire soul is washed. Now, the fifth element of expository preaching, and this is where um, a lot of... um, I think you're seeing a renewal of this. A lot of the um, expository preaching textbooks don't mention this, but it's spirit-empowered delivery or even spirit-empowered preparation. You can spend time in personal prayer, diligent study, exegetical precision, homiletical outlining, but you really have not preached your sermon until you've stood up before the people and you're relying upon the power and, and, and unction, what the old Puritans would call, of the Holy Spirit in that moment. It's this whole idea that you are helpless in the pulpit and that nothing of significance is going to happen unless the Holy Spirit shows up. And that's often when I pray publicly before I preach. I may say something like, you know, I'm just a man up here, and if there's going to be anything of eternal Spiritual significance, it's not going to be because of my persuasive words or anything that I've done. I'm just a man. We don't want to hear what I have to say. Holy Spirit, would you please come and do a work that only can be explained by your power, by your power. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, his power in the pulpit was attributed to this empowering from the Holy Spirit. And in, in, in Dallimore, um, Arnold Dallimore in George Whitfield's biography says this about um, George Whitfield. He says, quote, His effectiveness lay not in his eloquence nor his zeal. God had granted upon him and his ministry a mighty effusion of the Holy Ghost, and it was this, the divine power, which was the first secret of his success. Why was George Whitfield so successful? Was it because he was eloquent? 
Was it because he was passionate? Was it because he was so cogent in his argumentation? No, it was a mighty effusion. We don't word that, use that word effusion. It means an outpouring. The Holy Spirit was all over it. Now, my friend Artazurdia, um, he's preached in our church. He's, I've invited him to preach at our state convention in Colorado. Um, he's the pastor of Trinity Church in Portland. He's the preaching professor um, at, um, at the seminary there, Western Seminary in Portland. Um, he's written a great book, um, Spirit-Empowered Preaching. I definitely encourage everybody to read Artazurdia's book on that. It's probably the definitive book on the role of the Holy Spirit in expository preaching. But let me give you a quote from, from our friend Art. He says this, If the aim of Christian preaching is more than intellectual enlightenment and moral reformation, but is instead the thoroughgoing transformation of people dead in trespasses and sins, then Christian preachers must rest their dependence solely upon the Spirit of the living God because such a transformation requires a power of an altogether supernatural kind. Stated simply, the power of the Holy Spirit is the sine qua non of gospel preaching, the one without which nothing else matters. It's an important quote. He's saying the, if people are dead in sin, and you're out there preaching to those that are lost, those that are dead in sin, then the only hope we have is the power of the Holy Spirit to attend to our preaching as the essential element that's going to bring life. Well, let's just talk about some personal reflections on the importance of expository preaching and maybe the state of expository preaching today. Um, I think it's, it's on hard times. Uh, you look at the steady diet of what people see, and I'm going I'm to mention names here because I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about that. I mean, we were in a, um, one of my doctoral classes. We had to watch all different types of sermons and critique them, and one of the sermons was by Andy Stanley. And our professor, he said, I didn't cherry pick this sermon. I just went like right before class and pulled it off the internet. It was the, it was the most recent one he preached. And this is Andy Stanley, large, one of the largest churches in America, influential leader, his catalyst conferences. Um, he said some very weird things about expository preaching. It was a, we watched his sermon. It was 40 minutes, and he not once opened his Bible, and as a matter of fact, at the beginning of his sermon, he said something like, you don't really need to open your Bible. Um, if you're into that, that's okay. Uh, the scripture's going to be up here on the screen. Um, so he didn't even ask people to open their Bibles. The whole sermon was co- conventional wisdom that you can glean from Dr. Phil or, or other places. Uh, and, and, and I was thinking the whole time, man, he's, he's coming up with, with conventional wisdom. And I was waiting for at least a Joel Osteen. Let's throw in at least a proverb or some type of scripture up there in a weird translation like Rick Warren or Joel Osteen to at least kind of prove what you're saying. He didn't even do that. And then he got to the very end of the, of the sermon and, and brought out Romans 8.28 as the only scripture and took that out of context and basically preached for 40 minutes and did not even open his Bible. Then you've got your word, faith, charismatic people that, that don't even believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. They, they read a Bible verse and they go off on their own prophetic weird stuff and they, they talk about this and that and they never actually come back to the text. You've got the Joel Osteens who are power of positive thinking. You've got your Rick Warrens who use all different types of Bible translations to try to justify whatever topic he's talking about. And so I'm not sure if people actually hear expository preaching today. 
some people look at the Calvary Chapel movement, um, which I'm not saying anything against them. They're, they're a little bit more um, Arminian-leaning. Um, but, you know, Calvary Chapel is known for supposedly verse-by-verse preaching. And I, didn't, I would not say expository preaching is verse-by-verse. Some people define expository preaching as verse-by-verse, a running commentary on the passage of Scripture. So I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to give a commentary. I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to give a commentary. It's like, it's like read a running commentary. That's more of a lecture. You're more explaining, but you're not exhorting or encouraging. There, there is a dearth of expository preaching in our churches today. Um, and the question is, well, what are the primary factors that have contributed to this? Why is there a devaluation? Or why is there a misunderstanding? Why is there a lack? Why is there a dearth? Why is there not good expository preaching in our churches? And by the way, there is good expository preaching. I know there's faithful expositors out there. And I know all over the world there's those that are faithful. But when you just look at the evangelical landscape, when you look at who's popular, when you look at you know, who's, who's writing the books and who's going on the, the circuit of the, of the, um, the conferences... What, what are some of these factors? Again, I don't have all the answers. These are just my personal observations. Let me give you five factors that I think have adversely affected the role of, of expository preaching today. Um, and here's the, here's the most important one I think is, is the real issue. I think, first of all, pastors lack a confidence in the authority and sufficiency of scriptures. I mean, any corrective for preaching needs to start here with a recapturing of the sufficiency of scriptures. Now, what do I mean by that? Most evangelicals are going to give lip service to the inerrancy, the authority, the inspiration of scriptures. You go up to a a pastor and say, hey, do you believe that the Bible's true? Oh, yeah. Do you believe the Bible's inspired of God? Oh, yeah. Do you believe the Bible's authoritative? Oh, yeah, that's what our church believes. Okay, but in your preaching, do you reflect those values? Is the Bible sufficient solely to feed your flock, to direct how you do things? Are you relying solely on the sufficiency of the Word? Or do you have to bring in stories? Do you have to bring in video clips? Do you have to bring in uh, your your own prophetic manifestations? Do you have to bring in cute stories? Do you have to bring in political leaders? Uh, Do you just trust that God's Word will not return void? If you lay bare the text and preach the text and trust the power of the Holy Spirit, do you believe that is sufficient for gospel transformation? That's where the rubber meets the road. And I think the reason that people aren't doing expository preaching is because they've lost faith. And they may not articulate this out loud or admit to it. They've lost faith in the sufficiency of scriptures. They're giving into pragmatic approaches, felt needs. The second reason, I think, is maybe pastors have lost confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. Maybe they just don't believe the gospel is powerful. Maybe they don't believe that the word of God, when it's explained and it's applied, it is a sharp two-edged sword, that it does penetrate deep into the recesses of the human soul. The preached word brings about the hearing of faith, regeneration, conversion, progressive sanctification. 
the gospel. Many pastors use gimmicks, the latest fads, to try to, motiv- try to motivate their people to action. If we just have this new program, if we just have 40 days of this, if we just um, have six steps here, if we just start this new thing. And so th- there's all these steps and all these gimmicks. What about just the, the inherent potency of the Word of God to bring about gospel transformation? I mean, look at the sermons in Acts. I mean, the apostolic method was the exposition, application of the Christ-centered scriptures pointing to his death, burial, and resurrection and calling people to repent and believe. And what did God do in the book of Acts? Do you see any marketing campaigns? Do you see any of this weird stuff that you see all over the place on Christian TV and the internet? No, it was the systematic preaching and teaching of the scriptures and God advanced the gospel through that. Third reason, let me just be real honest here. I think a lot of pastors are lazy. They wouldn't admit that, but they don't want to engage in the rigors of expository preaching. They don't want to dive into the text. They don't want to go back to the original languages. They don't want to spend time excavating the text, digging into the text, figuring out the meaning, going to the words to to, to, to figure out what the words mean, spending time in the commentaries, understanding the grammatical, historical meaning of the text, trying to figure out how to build the bridge from the ancient text to the modern congregations. And so a lot of pastors get sidetracked by other well-meaning ministry opportunities, and they really forfeit their role of expository preaching. They're intimidated by it. They've got too many ministry demands. I've said this on, on former podcasts. If your pastor does not have the time to spend in expository preaching, he is not doing his primary calling, his principal calling as a pastor. He needs the time to be able to spend in the text. And a lot of pastors maybe are just too lazy or intimidated or, or they just got out of the habit and they, they find it easy to, you know, heaven forbid, download a sermon on the internet and use that. To me, that's just the height of, of arrogance and, and really of, of um, and lack of integrity. Fourthly, and, and this may be another issue, is that many pastors, I don't think, have a clear understanding or appreciation of church history. Um, do they see how God used preaching, especially expository, gospel-centered, powerful preaching throughout church history to bring revival and reformation? Pastors need to read about men like John Chrysostom in the early church, who was an expository preacher, John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, other important figures from history who God used during unique times to bring about revival, reformation in preaching. And finally, one of the biggest challenges to the primacy of expository preaching, I think it's just the age in which we lived, marked by technology, social media, and busyness. People inundate themselves all week in social media, passive entertainment where they're taking in TV or video games, they're surfing the internet, they're watching TV. The the fast-paced nature of life, when people come to church, their minds have not been engaged and trained to listen to God's truth preached. It's just too difficult. I can't come and listen to a guy cogently exposit the scriptures for 40 to 45 minutes. My, my, my brain, I don't have the attention span. And a lot of pastors give in to this dumbing down of culture. 
So they dumb down the message to appease their hearers. And that's not the answer. What is the one thing people cannot get anywhere else in the world that they can get when they come to the church and hear the preached word? What do they get? In the corporate gathering of the worship service, when the man of God stands before his people and opens up the scriptures and says, Thus says the Lord, they experience the uniqueness of the transcendent majesty of the living God who has chosen to speak his word through the mouthpiece of a preacher. And God shows up in power and lives are changed. John Stott writes this, What is unique is not an ideal or an atmosphere, but a reality. The living God is present according to His covenant pledge in the midst of His worshiping people and has promised to make Himself known to them through word and sacrament. Nothing could ever replace this. This irreplaceable, wonderful experience of encountering the triune God in worship through expository preaching should motivate all of us preachers to make it a supreme priority in our ministries. So I hope this has been helpful. If you're an up-and-coming preacher, maybe you're a seasoned preacher, maybe you're a seminary student, maybe you're just a lay person, and you want to know more about preaching. We don't often talk about this. You hear preaching all the time. You hear teaching, but maybe you don't understand a theology, a philosophy, a biblical foundation behind why we do it. What are the elements of it? And so that's really what I've tried to do in this podcast. And so um, thank you for listening. Again, we're going to be on radio silence for about a week and a half as I take my family on vacation uh, to California as we go to Disneyland and Universal Studios next week. Uh, my oldest son is going to be a freshman in college at California Baptist University in the fall. So we're going to go visit the campus there as well and just have a great time together as a family. Until next time, may God bless you. May God keep you. May God cause His face to shine upon you. May you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity.